Good morning, everyone. I like how Hugh set the expectations kind of low. I'm just here to give him a break this week. <laughs> um, but I am actually really excited. Uh, uh, I'm really excited this week to go back into the series with Abraham and just talking about his friendship with God. And I think it's so cool that God gave us an example through Abraham of what friendship with him looks like. Um, and I'm going to start off just have you guys open up if you have your your phone Bible or your actual Bible to just Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to start by just reading uh, verses 1 through 8, just so you can get an idea of what's happening if you're not familiar with this chapter of what's happening um, at this time. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he raised his eyes and looked up, behold, three men were standing a little distance from him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. And Abraham said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by your servant without stopping to visit. Please let a little water be brought by one of my, servant, by one of my servants, and you may wash your feet and recline and rest comfortably under the tree." And I will bring a piece of bread to refresh and sustain you. And after that, you may go on, since you have come to your servant. And they replied, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. And he said, Quickly, get ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and bake cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and brought a calf, tender and choice. And he gave it to the servant to butcher. And he hurried to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared, and he set it before the men, and he stood beside them under the tree while they ate. So actually, I've been reading this chapter for a month, and I've read it over and over again, probably a hundred times or more. And uh, for whatever reason, I couldn't really get past verse one. So actually, even though this is an amazing chapter, um, I'm actually going to focus in mostly just on verse one today. And I'll read it one more time. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. So I'm going to focus this morning on Abraham's season. It was the heat of the day and the position and posture of his heart. He's sitting at the tent door. And I'm going to start by just talking about the season of his life. I think we know God often uses natural things to teach us spiritual truths, right? All throughout the Old Testament, he uses, you know, some of his prophets were married to uh, unfaithful wives just to demonstrate spiritual truths and a lot of times the seasons that there's seasons in the natural but also there's seasons that God takes us through uh, in our lives and our spiritual walk with him and if you look at Abraham's life uh, it's obvious that this season is the heat of the day for him spiritually it's I think for me easy sometimes to look at Abraham's life and kind of minimize uh, what he had to go through, you know, because he's, we look up to him as the father of our faith. We think that it was easy for him to trust God. But if you actually look at his timeline, his life timeline, it was 30 years from when God called him to this, to this moment where he's about to do what he's promised him he would do. So Abraham was called at 70 years old. He, was, he left home, he left his people, he was 75 years old when God first promised him that he would be the father of nations. And in case Abraham was a little bit confused about what father of nations meant, at 85, God specifically tells him, no, you're going to have a son. And if Abraham was a little bit unsure of whether Ishmael was a son and it was something he was going to work out in his own strength, God clarifies that, no, him and Sarah are going to have a son. 
And this is where our story takes place. He's 99 years old, and he's 100 years old when Isaac is born. And has anybody ever waited for something for an unreasonable amount of time? Like, you know, there's a time you wait because you expect something to happen uh, in a certain amount of time, and then you wait a little bit longer because you're being very generous and patient. And then after a while, it's actually embarrassing if you wait any longer. It's actually awkward. Like, you can tell people are looking at you and, and feeling maybe embarrassed for you that you're waiting so long. I, I think I remember that happening with Gavin and I when we were dating intercontinental and we had to schedule our phone calls with each other because we were eight hours apart and uh, I didn't realize back then that South Africa is super unreliable with their telephone service the hailstorms would come or the power outages would happen and so he wouldn't necessarily be able to call me but I would wait all day for this phone call and it would be if we scheduled it at 7 I'd probably be sitting at 630 waiting for him to call it was pre-cell phones, so this is landlines. I'd have to actually sit by the phone. And if he didn't call by 7.30, I would probably start to get a little bit nervous. And if he didn't call by 8.15, I should probably just assume that he's not going to call. But I would probably have waited there until my family started to feel a little bit sorry for me because I'm sitting by this phone and nobody's calling me. And I think Abraham was at that stage where if anybody knew what he was trusting for, what he was waiting for, they actually probably felt a little embarrassed for him. He had left his people. He had left his home. He lived like a nomad in a tent. And, but he believed God when he said he was going to be the father of nations. He watches Sarah go through years of barrenness. And then he watches her go through menopause, where she actually can't have children anymore. And this is absolutely the heat of the day. It's when most people would retreat. Most people would give up believing because they feel foolish, because they, they feel ridiculous. It's a really, really vulnerable place. But he's not called our fa the father of our faith for no reason. And I'm telling you that many of us retreat right before God is going to come and bring breakthrough. Galatians 6 verse 9, it says, Don't grow weary in doing good, because in due time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We can't give up. And retreating can be very subtle, and it's different for everyone. We have to follow our own convictions. You know, for Gavin and I, we, we never felt released to move back to Michigan. We, Hugh and Vanessa are so sick and tired of us telling them how many times we wanted to move back to Michigan, living in Chicago. Things would go bad, and we wouldn't be able to pay our bills. We'd be like, we're moving to Michigan. You know, we've already found an apartment, and we, but we, God never let us, and we always felt like the faith step for us was to stick it out here. But for somebody else, you know, moving back home, it's, it's not that they're being disobedient, but that was our personal conviction. And for Hugh and Vanessa, you know, maybe it would have been packing up the church a year in if it didn't look like what they thought God had promised them it was going to look like, or if it just got too hard. But we have to follow our personal convictions and what God's asking us to trust him for. We can't retreat in the fire. The process is often the fingerprints of God forming us, readying us for what he's bringing us into. God could have called Abraham and he could have given him a son without all the trials and the hardships. I mean, Abraham was already a mature follower, right? He already was willing to leave everything. He was already wholehearted. He was already willing to obey his commands. But God was building a story and a people and a son of promise. And there was a process that Abraham had to go through to inherit his promise in the fullness. Proverbs 20, verse 21 says, An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. There's something about the process itself that prepares us for the promise. And I just think, like, you know, Gavin and I talk about this all the time because I think, 
process is something that he's really imprinted on our lives. And it is his biblical example time and time again. David was at 10 years old, 10, between 10 and 15 years old, anointed as king. And he went through years of struggle and hardship. And he was 30, 30 years old before he became king. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I don't know if I'm saying their names right. That's how I learned it in kids' church when I was a kid. Um, you know, they, were, they weren't saved from the fire. When they were be, being threatened to be thrown into the fire, they held on to their faith, and they weren't saved from the fire. They were thrown into the fire. But it was in the fire that he saved them. And it was so much more glorious because God was glorified not just in their lives, but in the entire kingdom and in front of the Babylonian king. His glory um, was received because he, they were in the fire. And Joseph, Joseph could have become second in line to Pharaoh without all the pain and all the injustice, but it was in the process that he saw God's mighty plan outworking, and his faith and his confidence were made firm, that God had a plan and a purpose that was beyond his life. It was part of his eternal plan. And he passed that heritage onto his children and to all of us. 1 Peter 6, verse 7, 1 Peter First Peter 1, verse 6-7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested and purified by fire, may be found to result in your praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a purpose in the process. There's a purpose in the fire. Even for the beloved of God, God's friends, the ones who carry his heart, we can't allow, what we can't do is allow for these hard seasons to cause us to despair or lose hope or lead us into sin or worldly comforts. I think that's also a, a tendency to try to find something to comfort you and you fight against the flesh the hardest in these seasons, especially if you've been let, let down before by significant people in your lives. But God's not like our mothers or our fathers, our pastors or our friends. God is always faithful and he never fails us. God wants us, like Abraham, to press deeper when we're tempted to give up hope. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't deny God when he didn't deliver them. They said that even if he didn't rescue them, they wouldn't renounce their faith. And only after, when it looks like God had already failed them, I mean, they were beyond the point of hoping anymore. They were being thrown into the fire. Only after they thought that they had failed them did they receive their breakthrough. And Abraham didn't abandon his faith when God had seemingly failed. He still had on to, held on to his faithfulness, even in the heat of the fire, even when it looked like it was n not going to happen for Sarah to have their own child. He waited for, he waited for him at the door of his tent. And God wants us to wait for him to come and visit us to confirm his promises and be our hero and our savior in the fire. And the other thing I want to look at with Abraham is the posture of Abraham's heart. That's what kept going in my head as I was reading this verse, that Abraham was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And to me, this just implies a position of readiness, alertness, watchfulness, expectancy, he was not taking a midday siesta, <laughs> which would be excusable in the heat of, a, of the day in Israel-Palestine. He was positioned for an encounter with the Lord. And if you read further into chapter 18, we see that the Lord is on the earth with a mission. He was headed to Sodom and Gomorrah to see if it was as bad as the cry that had reached to heaven uh, had indicated. And we don't know if Abraham was part of the plan. He was making a stop at Abraham's house and then headed to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
But because Abraham was sitting at the tent door watching, he recognized when the Lord passed by, and he experiences this awesome fellowship with the Lord as a result. Jeremiah 29 verse 3 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus is moving today on the earth. We serve a living God. He is working in our lives. But if we're not alert, if we're not waiting and watching for him, we can be dull to perceive when he is moving in our lives. The Jewish people were waiting for their Messiah, but when Jesus came, they didn't recognize him. The Bible named two prophets who, who recognized Jesus, Simeon and Anna, and they recognized Jesus when he came because they were waiting for him. They were looking for him. And when, they, when he came, they could recognize that it was him because their hearts were searching for him. Jesus scolded the Jewish people and the religious leaders because they didn't recognize the time of his coming because they weren't actually waiting for him. Their hearts weren't looking for him. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5 through 6 says, For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We do not belong to the night nor to the darkness, so let us not sleep in spiritual indifference as the rest of the world does, but let us keep wide awake, alert and cautious, and let us be sober, self-controlled, calm, and wise. When Jesus was on the earth, he commanded us to be watchful, to wait for his coming and to be alert, not to be spiritually dull, Abraham is sitting at the door. He's watching, he's expectant, and he's waiting. A lot of people compare the church of our age to the church of Laodicea in the, in the book of Revelation, and this was the, this was the uh, lukewarm church. They were spiritually very dull. They were okay with the status quo Christianity. They were satisfied with their lives. They weren't hungering after God. But Jesus is not okay with that. He wants our whole entire hearts and all of our passion. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And I use that as an example because it's such a contrast to Abraham, right? Abraham's waiting at the door. Abraham runs out to meet the Lord, and he brings him in, and they fellowship together. With the church in Laodicea, they, Jesus still desires that fellowship. He still wants to come and eat and have fellowship with us, even when our hearts are dull and we're not running after him. And not only was Abraham watchful and ready when the Lord came, but I, I, I think his response is like such a childlike faith response when he sees him. He's not like wounded or tentative or holding back when he sees the Lord. There's no disappointment in his heart that when he sees God, he's like, you know, you've, you've hurt me. I've been disappointed. You, you didn't come through on your promises. He runs out to meet the Lord. He pleads with them to stay. He rushes to prepare the best meal. In essence, he's worshiping with all that's inside of him. And Abraham and the Lord enjoy this fellowship together. And in that place of fellowship, God confirms his promises to Abraham that he's going to have a son, and then he gives him a definitive timeline that it will be by this time next year. When we fellowship with the Lord, he confirms his word to us. 
what he's been saying and doing in our lives, and we have the opportunity to respond in faith. I'm going to jump back into uh, Genesis 18, starting at verse 9 through 18, um, if you want to turn there. Then he said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, There in the tent. He said, Surely I will return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in years, and she was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself when she heard the Lord's words, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure and delight, my husband being old as well? And the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh to herself, saying, Shall I really give birth to a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult or too wonderful for the Lord? At the appointed time, when the season for her delivery comes, I will return to you, and Sarah will have a son. Then Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, because she was afraid. And he, the Lord, said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men got up from there, and they looked toward Sodom, and Abraham walked with, with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I keep secret from Abraham, my friend and servant, what I am going to do, since Abraham is destined to become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. That was an amplified version, if you're wondering why my version is a lot longer than yours. I like the amplified version. Uh, but actually, what I want to talk about here is, is Sarah. I think like Sarah is a lot like a lot of us. So she's on this faith journey as well. These promises are for Sarah, too. But somewhere along the way, I think Sarah lost her hope. And she's a little skeptical, and she's a little reserved. She did not run out the door to greet the visitors. She's hiding behind the door, listening in. And how many of us are there in our relationship with God? We keep a little distance in our hearts from God. There's a little bit of mistrust and a little woundedness between us. We hope for things, and we've been disappointed, and we've lost our childlike faith. We know that we're not supposed to feel this way, but we're skeptical and we, that he can do the impossible in our lives. And to protect our hearts, we just quit hoping. But that's the lie. God doesn't disappoint. Things don't always turn out the way that we hope or expect, but we need to dust off the hurt and trust that God's better, more perfect plan is in play, and he's outworking it. I think when the Lord asks where Sarah is, that's his way of addressing her, like, I know you're there, Sarah. <laughs> he's grabbing her attention because he's the Lord. He, he knows everything. Obviously, he knows she's sitting there listening but not ready to come out and have fellowship with them, not ready for that intimate relationship right then. She's not so sure about the promises. <clears throat> but then he speaks to her in that place in her heart, to the doubt and the hurt, and he says that nothing is impossible or too wonderful for him. And Sarah probably lived with shame, the shame of barrenness her whole life. She's wounded, but she is offering the little faith she does have by coming and listening at the door. And even though she might be a little skeptical and hurt, she does have a choice at this point to respond in faith to the God's words. When I was reading some commentaries about the, the verse, um, you know, a lot of them kind of talk about Sarah's comment about, you know, will, will, will we enjoy this pleasure when we're so old? And kind of like, maybe they weren't actually being intimate at that stage, her and Abraham, right? So Sarah needed to actually respond in faith to be able to conceive a child. And I think that is a, a, a really important point to highlight, that our faith it always requires a response from us. We always have to step out and respond in faith. To the Laodicean church, he comes and he knocks at the door. He's going to meet us wherever we are, 
but we have to respond. We have to open the door. We have to take the step of faith. And it's okay if it's messy and we're not perfect. He doesn't exclude us from our inheritance because of our weaknesses. But when we're faced with choosing faith or not, we need to take a step out and walk with him. And the last thing I want to touch on is just that God shares his heart with not only with Abraham about his own personal life, but his plans for Sodom and Gomorrah as well. Um, and in that intimate place of fellowship, Abraham gets to be a part of what God's doing on the earth. And you could honestly spend, have spent the whole time teaching just on this part. And actually, maybe I had more time to go into it. Uh, but this is such an awesome point that when God, when we're friends with God and we're enjoying fellowship with him, we can be a part of what he's doing on the earth, what he wants to do in our cities, what he wants to do with our, in our neighbors' lives, what he wants to do in the people in our workplaces' lives. And Abraham had God's ear. He, had to, he got to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah and, and, and change events. And even though Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, Lot's life was spared and his family. And when we get to know, God listens to our prayers when we have that intimate relationship with him. And just as an end point, the very last slide, <laughs> um, just like some practical applications for our lives for this. Um, don't jump out of the refining fire. We've, I've done it before, and you just get put back in. <laughs> you just get put back in. You're just delaying the inevitable. You know, and Abraham, through his years, he just, he just endured it. It was hard, and there was maybe shame and embarrassment and, and, and probably points where he wasn't sure. I mean, we saw Abraham stumble. We saw him have Ishmael. We saw him, you know, stumble, but he, he didn't retreat. He believed, and he didn't, he didn't carry woundedness in his heart. When he saw God, he ran to him. He, he loved him, and he worshiped him with his whole heart. He never let go of his faith. And don't be discouraged by the fire. I, I think that is the loving imprint of God on our life. That shows that he's working in our lives. That shows that he loves us so much that he's preparing us for something very, very precious. And our faith is a relationship. You, we can't just check the Christian boxes. You know, the religious people, they, they missed Jesus because their hearts actually weren't engaged with him. They weren't actually hungering and thirsting for him. You know, God knows if we're just coming to church and we're just checking the boxes, we actually need to hunger after him. We actually need to seek him with our whole hearts. And if we seek him with our whole hearts, then we'll see him. We'll see him moving in our lives. We'll see him moving in the lives of others. We'll know what he's doing in this season. And intimacy with Jesus brings fellowship. Our understanding of his plans for our lives, but also his heart about the world around us.